Outreach and evangelism. Outreach and evangelism. Actually, let me, sh- let me share one more thing for discipleship before we move on. It's just a story. It's just a story. <laughs> but, but the point I want to tell you that some people, we have seen some people, they come to church hmm, half the time. They're not really involved. They hang around, but they're not very consistent or dependable. And then there has been an event where something changes, and um, and suddenly they're very committed. It, and that's so. And and what I'm my point is, um, it has happened through some really amazing things that have happened um, through through the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to share one story with you. It, and, uh, there was a couple. They lived outside of town, and they were they would come now and then, but they're really not very committed. She had a baby, and there were complications with, with the delivery. And the doctors told her she was very high risk and that there was a good chance that there was, um, I mean, the, the term in English is sepsis, that she was septic. Do you guys, do you, do you know this? So in other words, um, there was probably, there was, there was a decent chance, a good chance that her body could very easily, her whole body could become infected and poisoned, basically, because of, because of how the delivery happened. Um, so they sent them home, and they said, if she gets a fever, any fever, you need to rush her back to the hospital because we will have to start some very serious treatment because if she gets a fever, it means she is septic. You need to rush her back here. And they lived one hour away from the hospital. And so they sent them home with the baby, and the next day, she developed a bad fever. And the husband, my friend, he said, well, maybe the thermometer is broken. So he, he takes her temperature. It's a fever. He takes his temperature. It's normal. He takes the baby's temperature. It's normal. He takes her temperature. Fever. So they're certain she, ha- she has a fever. She has the chills. She's shaking. She has a bad fever. And so they call the hospital, and they say she has a fever. They say, okay, that means she is septic. You need to bring her in right now. And so as they were rushing to the hospital, they called me, and they told me what was happening. Because when when a woman is septic, it it is life-threatening. I mean, it it is a very serious thing. And um, on the way to the hospital, they called me and told me. And so I was with some other people from church at that time, maybe six or seven other people from church, and I said, you guys, we need, to, we need to pray for a miracle right now. And so we stopped what we were doing, and we gathered. And the entire drive for the, from the hospital, we, we just prayed. We just cried out to the Lord, and we, we asked for a miracle. Lord, please heal her. Please heal her, Lord. Show your power by healing her. And they arrived at the hospital, and they rushed her in. And the nurses is this a joke? There's no fever. She has no fever. No, no, she did. She had a fever. I pr- no, no, she has no fever. They did, they did all the tests. No fever. They did further tests. Th- there's no sepsis. It, it's gone. It's, complete, it's completely fine. The, um, all of the poison is gone. It's out of her body. They told, they told my friend, I think your thermometer must have been broken. They said, because if she really had a fever, we know she was septic. He said, no, the, the thermometer was fine. I checked and I double checked. 
They said, no, it was broken. And he told the nurses, no, God healed my wife. And they did not have anything to say to that. But at, my point is, we, we saw a miracle that night. God healed her. Uh, her name is Mache. God healed her. And from that point on, they have been one of the most committed couples in the church uh, because they experienced the hand of God and they experienced the power of God in a way that they had not experienced before. And it, and it touched their hearts in a new way and in a fresh way. I have, I have more stories like that I could tell another time, but I just I thought about that. Part of discipleship, I think, is praying for God to do amazing things in people's lives um, so that they see that he's involved, that he cares. We read in Revelation that Jesus walks among the lampstands of his churches. He's not, he's not on a cloud somewhere watching us from a far ways away. He's among us. And he knows us, he knows us intimately, and he's involved in our lives. And that was just one neat way that we experienced that that night. Um, and it drew that couple very close to, to the Lord and closer to the church. Session 15, let's talk about outreach and evangelism. Why do we do outreach and evangelism? Similar to discipleship, outreach and evangelism happens before, when we think about discipleship, somebody's ongoing walk in the faith, um, someone's conversion, evangelizing to them, is the first step in that. That's what happens first. Um, I believe that evangelism is part of discipleship. We are commanded to go disciple the nations, and that starts when we go and actually proclaim the gospel to them. So evangelism is where discipleship starts. Now, what is evangelism? Uh, James uh, mentioned uh, Max Stiles earlier, I think. And here's his definition of it that I thought was helpful. Evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. I think that's, that's a good definition. Let's revisit Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, someone, whoever is the most sleepy, please read that. <laughs> yep, 18 through 20. So, hmm. similar to our reason for discipleship, what is our foundation for evangelism? We evangelize because Jesus has what? How much authority? Oh, all authority. So you mean he has most authority? Oh, you mean he has all authority. Okay. We evangelize because Jesus has all authority. That's the reason we evangelize. That's, that's the reason we have hope that anyone will ever convert. Because Jesus has all authority. And that includes every human heart. Every human heart. People become converts before we can teach them. We need to see them come from darkness to light, uh, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Jesus. 
uh, this is what we see throughout Paul's missionary journeys. People are, are being won over for Christ wherever he went. Um, I want you to just, just think about your church. Every, every Christian in your church, every Christian in this room, once hated God. We all once hated God. With every fiber of our being, we lived only to serve ourselves. We lived only to worship ourselves, all of us. We were his enemies, Romans 5 says. But something happened along the way. God interfered, and he did that by sending someone. He sent someone to evangelize to you. And when we think of evangelism, it doesn't just mean the man on the street corner standing on a box shouting at strangers. That, that's, that's not just what we mean. Sometimes evangelism looks like that, and I believe people are saved through that. But evangelism means consistent and simple conversations with people we already know and love and trust, usually. If someone were to say, as a, if a Christian were to say, evangelism, that's not for me. I would say, yes, it is, because, because it is how you were saved. I hope it's for you, for the sake of your soul. I hope it's for you. If we are Christians today, it is because God sent somebody to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade us. Can you remember who that was for you? Would, would one or two of you just tell that story? Let's put some names to this idea. Somebody please tell me how you, who, who, who led you to the Lord? For me, it was uh, my parents and my friend in the Navigators after I joined the military. They were willing to open their mouth and speak the gospel to me. Yeah. Was anybody here evangelized by a, a total stranger, someone you did not know? Or was it all somebody you knew? Someone in your family or a friend or something? Yeah. God uses all kinds of people, but the point is he uses people and he intends to use us. Evangel evangel Listen, evangelism has been happening since the early church. It does not suddenly end with us. When, when I convert to Christianity, I am not the last person to be evangelized to. It must continue. It must continue. It is a very important part of gospel ministry in a church. If you remember, I said we have three kinds of relationships in the entire universe. Me to my God, me to other believers, and me to unbelievers. Now we're talking about me to unbelievers. We are commanded to make disciples, and so that means conversion, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, those are not separate events. When you read the New Testament, conversion and baptism are, are always looked at as the same event, essentially. I mean, they just are. It would have been the New Testament writers, if we asked them, hey, should, should, do Christians have to be baptized? They would look at you so funny, because it was it was assumed if you are a, if you are in Christ you should be baptized. So when when we read in Matthew 
make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's their conversion. That's the sign of their entering into God's family and teaching them. That's the discipleship ongoing. So here we're talking about the conversion. Um, it is the perpetuating, the continual of the continuation of the gospel in people's hearts. If you can imagine a field that is dead and dry, but then life and, and trees start to grow out of it, that's part of our mission as a church, uh, to see life come where there was only death. That is conversion. That is, that is the goal of evangelism, to see people transferred from darkness to light. So we're going to talk about the gospel more specifically in a, couple, in a, in a little bit because that's the message of evangelism. But uh, what, what we must see at first is that um, just what we were saying, and we've talked about this throughout the week, the gospel must be spoken. The gospel must be spoken. There is a saying that I disagree with. It's that when people say the gospel should be caught, not taught. Think caught like, like, a, like a, if, I'm, like if I have a virus. Like a, what's that? Like a flu. Like you catch it from me. They say it should be caught, not taught. And I, I think, no, no, it should be taught. I think that is how it is caught. <laughs> it, someone has got to speak the gospel to people. They have to. The scripture, scripture is clear on this in Romans 10 and other, and other places. That is how it is caught. It must be articulated. So, um, and so as you all think about church leadership and church ministry in your futures, if you are elders, one of the qualifications for an elder is that he is able to teach. One place where I think that is expressed is in teaching unbelievers, right? Using our definition from Max Stiles that evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. So able to teach is not just limited to uh, members of the church. I think it also extends to our neighbors and uh, to our parents if they are unbelievers and, and family members. Um, um, teaching starts with them as well. And we need to think about, the, think about it in that kind of, kind of category. So, so when we think about evangelism, who is it for? And in other words, who should be doing it? The individual, well, yes, yes, the individual. We should all be thinking, who has God placed in my life who I can influence with the gospel? So the individual, yes, absolutely. But also the whole church. The whole church should be evangelizing. Um, and what I mean by that, well, we'll talk about that more. Um, a church should develop a culture of evangelism. It should be an expectation in the church that we evangelize. And again, the Sunday gathering is a form of evangelism. Our um, church meets in what's called the Bozeman Senior Center. So I don't know if you have senior centers here, but it's a place where it's not, no one lives there. It's, it's an event center where uh, for people ages 50 and older in Bozeman, they come there and they have different kinds of classes and uh, Events and they get to meet other people their age, that sort of thing. It's an events, it's an event center for people ages 50 and older. Well, they don't do anything with it on Sundays, so we rent it on Sundays. And just last week, we had people walking through our doors, just saying, "We have seen that you've your church has been meeting here for a couple of months, and we just we wanted to come and ask some questions." 
when, when you gather on Sunday, that is a form of evangelism. You are saying to the world, we're here, and we're worshiping the one true God, and we want you to come in and join us. So it, it is an evangelism is an individual activity. It is also a corporate activity with the entire church. So when I say a culture of evangelism, by culture, I mean a culture is a set of shared ideas, shared habits, shared priorities, okay? Um, and it's our job as ministers to build this culture of evangelism in the church. So if, if you remember when we talked about discipleship groups, the last thing we talk about, plan and pray. Who has God placed in my life who I can influence with the gospel this week? Let me tell, let me tell you one story. There's a woman in our church named Sophie, and Sophie became a Christian two years ago. She's 22 or 23. She came to church because her sister was a part of our church, and, and, and she came with her sister. And Sophie's very, very, very quiet. She's a very quiet woman. And I, I assumed she was already a, a Christian. I shouldn't assume that. You should never assume that. And one day, she came to me with her sister. She was very, she was, she was standing back, and she was crying. And her sister said, Sophie needs to talk to you. I said, hi, Sophie, what's going on? And Sophie said, I just became a Christian. And, hallelujah, and uh, when I heard her story, it, it wasn't, I, I said, how did this happen? Tell me, tell me how did this happen? It wasn't just one person who came and said the gospel and that was it. She said, I became a Christian by coming every Sunday, and, and the, here's the words she used by watching the church be the church. That's what she said. I've been watching the church be the church. And she's hearing the gospel preached. I'm preaching the gospel on Sundays. She's hearing it sung in the song. So she is hearing the gospel um, taught with the aim to persuade. But she said that, that really, she said, I'm just seeing what, what it means to be a part of the community of God's people. She said, and I realize I'm, I, I was, I'm not a Christian until now, and I need, I need to repent. And anyway, but my point is, the reason I share that story is because if you were to ask Sophie who led you to the Lord, she wouldn't say one person. She would say, this church. Uh, the, the church, just doing what we should do, led her to the Lord. It was through many people engaging her, talking to her, loving each other, building one another up, singing, serving, she just experienced the family of God, and the gospel was included in that, and it led, her, it led her to true faith and true repentance. And so we baptized her a couple weeks later. Anyway, I wanted to tell you about Sophie. So elders must evangelize. If, if you're leading a church um, a, as an elder, you, I don't believe we can say, you know, my gift is teaching on Sunday, um, not evangelism. Um, there's a man in our denomination named Jim Donahue. He's, he, he's an excellent evangelist, but he points out evangelism is not a spiritual gift. 
it's just something Christians should do. <laughs> uh, now, some people can be good, better, honest, uh, you know, more winsome, you know, better at evangelism than others. Yeah, I think that's true. I think some people um, are better than others. But, but his point is that you can't say, oh, no, no, evangelism is for some Christians. My, you know, I, I'm going to be over here doing this. You, you, go, you go win the nations to Jesus while I stay over here. We all have a duty to evangelize in our own setting. And now it might look different. Evangelism for some might be standing up on the chair in the crowd and saying, listen, people, judgment is real. You are accountable to God, you know, so on. That might be evangelism for some people. For other people, it might be a boss sitting down with his employee, a, boss, a, a Christian man who has employees, and he sits down with them one-on-one -on -one you know, in, an, in a closed office and says, I, I, I need to tell you, you know, I need to tell you about Jesus. It, it can look, and this is what's so freeing about evangelism, it can look a million different ways. Think of every opportunity and every avenue to speak the gospel to someone. It's all evangelism. It's all evangelism. So I don't want you to think that there's only, there's a, it must look a certain way or else it's not evangelism. That's, that's not true. It's just not true. Um, our job is to think through what does evangelism look like for you? And you all have different personalities. It's going to look different. Um, some of you can say things in a very convincing way. Some of you probably can't. And some of you are in between. The good news is, is that God uses people who can't even talk, like Moses. That's really good news. He, he, he desires for all of us to be pursuing the nations for the sake of worshiping Jesus. We must do it. And that, that's, that's the point of this session 15. We must do it. Um, and talk about it from up front. If you become ministers, if you have influence within the church, if you're an elder, talk about evangelism from up front. I just, I've, I've just learned, it's, just, it's, part of, it's part of our calling into ministry. Um, we must be humble, but we, we do have influence. We do. Our, our church is watching us. They are listening to us. And we have to steward that very carefully. So it's not bad that we have influence. We just need to influence people in the right way, in a way that honors God. So when they hear their pastors talking about evangelism from up front, they'll probably take it a little bit more seriously. That, that's just true. Um, especially on that Sunday. Remember, dropping the plumb line over everybody at once, what are you going to tell them? Talk about evangelism. Talk about discipleship. Um, encourage them to participate. You, you need to lead the way, is my point. If, uh, oh, we have a program for discipleship, but the elders never are part of it. They're over here doing other things. That, uh, that's going to be really hard to get people motivated to participate. They say, why should I take that seriously? My, my church leaders don't even do that. So, be thinking about you need to lead the way in evangelism, whatever that might look like. Um, we'll go to session 16 in a minute. Any questions there? My point there is just let's take evangelism seriously. I know the afternoon is, I'm, I'm, I know I'm feeling tired. Thank you. For, we're almost done, guys. Thanks for bearing with me. Any questions about evangelism just as we, as we start talking about evangelism a little bit more? That's a good question. And different people have different opinions. Um, there is a strong case, biblically, 
to baptize people very quickly. There, there is. Um, all joking aside, the, the eunuch is a great example. I mean, he, he, God opened his mind to understand the prophet Isaiah, and he said, stop, let's go down to this water <laughs> right now. I love that. I think that's great. So there, I, there is room for that. We have baptized people very quickly. We have. At the same time, if, uh, if, if you look at uh, some, some areas of Christianity, even in the early church, in the first few centuries, second and third century, they really wanted to make sure that the person understood what they were signing up for, what they were believing. And so they would have, ca- that they would have catechism, the question and answer, to make sure that you understand the faith. I don't know which is better. I really don't. I think that, um, I, I feel like I keep saying this over and over, and I don't, I don't mean to be dodging the question, but I just, I wonder if it depends on the situation. Um, in, in, my, in my context, there are a lot of people who think they are Christians, but they do not understand the gospel. And there's no fruit in their lives. So when I see, when people convert in my area, I like to take some time to have, sev- I have several conversations with them to make sure that they understand. Because, because if I'm going to baptize them, I have to do that in good conscience. And so I just need to know, do you understand the gospel? Do you believe it? Is there some fruit in your life? Even if it's just very small fruit because you're just starting your Christian walk. That's in, that's in my context. I think, however, correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I really mean correct, those of you who, who come from more Muslim settings, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think in that sort of setting, you don't have people who are raised thinking, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm fine. You don't have cultural Christians. You have Muslims. And, and I... And, it, and I think for a someone raised in Islam to, co- to come forward and make the statement to say, no, I reject everything I've been taught. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. For a Muslim to say that, I think they probably, not, they have much to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone does when they first come to faith. We have much to learn. But I would probably feel more confident about that conversion than someone in my town who maybe thinks they are a Christian but they've never they've got a lot of they have a lot of wrong ideas about the gospel that they've been taught for years whereas say a Muslim or a Hindu who converts to Christianity they don't have they have they don't have years of wrong ideas about the gospel that they need to correct They've heard it for the first time. They've received it with fresh ears, and they've said yes. So, but I would love to hear from you too. Does that does that make sense? And in, in other words, when you've seen Muslims convert, have you had any doubt that it's that it's very genuine? My my opinion, I would rather baptize people quickly, personally. I I would, when someone confesses Christ. I, I, I would, my, personally, I would move forward in faith. I, I, w- I still, we do a baptism interview. I sit down with the person, I make sure they understand the gospel, and I make sure they understand what baptism is, and that they understand 
what it is a sign of, and, and we talk about union with Christ. Um, I tend to baptize people pretty quickly after their conversion. Yeah, not everybody would agree with that. But I'm, what do you all think? This is how, when we have someone who wants to join our church and we ask them, have you been baptized? And they say, no. Baptized doesn't, doesn't save you. You know, okay. We require people to be baptized before they join the church. And the reason is what you're, what you're talking about. We, we understand, we understand baptism. Baptism is a sign of our being joined to Christ himself. Membership is our evidence of being joined to Christ's body. So, so when someone says, I want to join the church, but I haven't been baptized, I say, well, think, of, think about this with me. Why would you say, I want to be joined to Christ's body without saying, I'm joined to Christ? In other words, there's an order in which these things should happen. Um, I have no idea what the eunuch was going back to in Ethiopia. Was, uh, now again, early church, prescriptive, descriptive, I understand, I understand. But, in, but we, we view, yes, um, we view baptism, I'm speaking personally, we view baptism as, this is a sign that I am in union with Christ himself. One of the natural, and I would say necessary, consequences of that is being joined to his local body. But we are only joined to a local body because we are in union with Christ. Does that make sense? In other words, there is a natural progression from Christ, okay, and Christ and Christ's body. Um, I, 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 I'm loving hearing this. I have, I have two sh thoughts I want to share, and they probably won't convince us of anything. But one, one thing that just came to my mind as we're all talking, just, and we would all affirm this. Can you ever be 100% sure of another person's heart before God? That's just something to keep in mind. However, on the other hand, do you believe that Philip was confident that the eunuch was genuine? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he would have baptized if he wasn't confident that he was genuine. So, I think of both of those things. I've baptized a number of people. Am I certain of any of their salvation? No. That's a hard thing to say, but I'm not. I see fruit and repentance in their life. Yes, it's true. I've also baptized people who later have just completely walked away. Am I responsible for the eternal destination of their soul? No. I'm living in faith, doing the best I can to be obedient to, to, to God. So if I, and maybe it's impossible, but if I could try to bring both, because you there are some excellent points that we're all making on both sides. If I could try to bring it together. And let me encourage you all. You're all thinking like pastors right now as you're talking about this. You're thinking through things that pastors think through. And, and I'm really encouraged by that. And you're coming to some good conclusions. If I could say, I would say this. I would baptize somebody as quickly 
and as responsibly as possible. If, that, if, if, if you've been coming to church for six months, and I know you've been hearing the, and you're, you're, no, you're listening, I know you've been hearing the gospel, I know you've been observing the church, you've been asking good questions, I, I know you as a person, and you finally, when, when Arash, my friend from Iran, when he finally said, okay, I believe, that was after two years of me personally talking, I was very, I was ready to baptize him, because he had heard the gospel, he knew what baptism was, all of that. If a stranger came into the church who I don't, I've never seen this man before. Hey, uh, I just became a Christian. I see that you're a pastor. Uh, can you baptize me? Hmm. I don't know you. I, I, I need to be able to do this in good conscience. Let, let's, let's have a conversation. So, so it, it just may depend on the situation. It's the same as when a couple asks me to, to officiate their wedding. I tell them, before I say yes, I tell them, I have some questions for you. Because if I'm going to sign off on your marriage, I have to have a clear conscience. And I ask them some very basic questions. And um, depending on how that goes, I say, okay, that I, that's the yes. If this has been met, yes, I will officiate your wedding. I kind of view baptism the same way. And, and may, so maybe all of us would have a different, maybe our, that line that would need to be, uh, that minimum that would need to be fulfilled, maybe that's in a slightly different place for all of us. But um, if I'm going to, if I'm going, as a minister of the gospel, if I'm going to put you in the water and bring you back up, like Philip, I believe he had a clear conscience when he did that with the, with the eunuch. I, I think they probably had a, I think it didn't take much in that case. They had a short, I mean, this dude's already reading his Bible. And he said, I'm reading about Christ. Help me understand. And uh, at the end of that conversation, there was enough confidence there to say, I believe this man is genuine. I do. I believe he's genuine. I'll, do I know for sure? No. But I believe he's genuine. I I'm, I'm, can, in good conscience, I can baptize this man. Other situations might take longer. And that's I think that's okay. It takes great wisdom, you guys, great discernment. What, what I th where I think we may be in error is saying, no matter what the situation is, saying, nope, this is our formula for baptism, like it or not. I, I, think, I think we need to be willing to be flexible with different people. W would you agree with that?